anyone have anything they want to ask, Tanya Chan? There's a question um, about when we sit meditation uh, and see things, see visions of different things, what should we do? And Jen was explaining um, the important thing is to just uh, be aware of whatever vision, visual image one sees, whatever the mind contacts during the meditation. But once you've established awareness of it, just let it go. Don't make out anything out of it in your mind. Don't. Uh, build it up into anything or get caught into craving to see or not to see. He said, some people will see visions sometimes in their meditation, other people won't. The ones who don't see anything often want to see something. The ones who do see things often get fed up with it and wish that they didn't see things. But the important thing is to keep mindfulness and just note whatever experience arises in your meditation and then let it go and keep practicing mindfulness on your meditation object. Uh, there was a question about um, when we experience emptiness through contemplating not-self, uh, if we still attach to that experience of emptiness, uh, that is attachment, that's, that's still a cause for suffering in the mind. So Tanajana was explaining how in, in the course of practice following the Buddhist teachings, one is developing this um, sense of emptiness, emptiness of self, emptiness of attachment to self throughout the course of the practice from the basic level right up to the very highest level to the end of the practice, say Nibbāna. Um, when we practice, say, on the level of dāna, when we practice generosity, we're letting go of our attachments, obviously, to our, particularly to our material possessions. We're learning to share, to give, to give back. Um, we're letting go of some of our greed and attachment doing that. When we let go of that greed, even though it's a temporary experience, we experience some emptiness or some spaciousness, some peace of mind, because we've let go of that particular attachment or kilesa. But it's a temporary thing, and it's still possible for us to um, even attach to that experience of letting go and the emptiness, the peace that comes from it. So you, you might attach to the sense of, I've done something good, I've given something, I've done some dana, practiced generosity. You get some happiness from that, but then you attach to that with a sense of self, that I'm a good person, I've done this, this generosity, I've, I've got this happiness from my practice of generosity, and a sense of self can form around that. The same thing can happen in our practice of precepts and the development of morality and virtue. We can practice the precepts, and in doing that, following the precepts, we have to let go of many coarse mind states. We have to let go of our greed, our anger, the desire to harm others, harm ourselves maybe. <coughs> when we do that, we experience some emptiness again. We say emptiness of greed and anger. We've let that go by keeping the precepts. We haven't given in to those kind of desires, mental states. So we experience some emptiness um, but then we can attach to that as well. We can have the sense of, oh, I'm a good person, I'm a moral person, I keep the precepts, and so on. So attachment can still form. Then on, as we develop our practice, say we practice meditation, we're learning to develop mindfulness and awareness and learning to develop concentration through the practice of meditation as we do that, we're experiencing the peace, the you might say the emptiness that comes through practicing concentration, where we let go of the 
hindrances and all the different mental states which agitate and confuse our mind. If we manage to let go of them, experience the peace of samadhi, well, this is another kind of emptiness, a deeper, more profound kind of emptiness. But it's still even possible for the mind to start forming a sense of self around this. To say, I am one who has samadhi, or I have the peace of samadhi. And similarly, some days when we practice meditation, maybe we don't have any samadhi, and we say, oh, I have no samadhi today. I have, I'm, I'm not very peaceful today, which is, again, another form of attachment. What we see is that even as we develop the Buddhist path, we develop ourselves in this way, we're moving from the cause to the refined. There's a, sense, a subtle sense of self all the time there. Even the good that we do, the wholesome dhammas, the good that we do in our practice, the, the peace, the happiness we experience, we can still have a sense of self form around this. This is why the uh, development of um, the practice at every stage, we want to also be developing our ability to contemplate our experience, use wisdom, use our intelligence to see that this sense of self that even forms around goodness and the happiness and the peace of our practices is still a cause of suffering. Um, the only way to really uproot this sense of self is developing wisdom and what we call the insight, the wisdom of insight. So if we do practice meditation and we develop peace of mind through that, then the thing to do then is to use that peace of mind, that temporary state of emptiness, you might say, to as a basis for contemplation, contemplating the... Um, what we call the universal characteristics, anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not-self, in our experience, the experience of this physical body as a human being. We have a physical body. We're contemplating that to see that it's impermanent in its nature, it's unsatisfactory, and it's not-self, it's ownerless. And then also in our mental experience, the feelings, the thoughts, the different mental states and memories and we have coming up in mind to see they are also anicca, dukkha, anatta. It's only then that we can start to uproot this, this attachment to this sense of self and to see, or oh, really these, these things don't have any real essence of self, no uh, substantial or lasting sense of self in them. They're, they're conditioned things. This body is a conditioned thing. It's subject to birth, old age, sickness and death. The mind is a conditioned thing. The feelings, the thoughts we have, they arise based on causes and conditions. There's no real self in that who's controlling or unchanging in all of that. So only by contemplating in this way, then we can really experience the, the emptiness of, of the mind that's uprooted attachments, uprooted greed, anger, delusion, and uprooted the, this sense of self completely. Um, but until we do that, at the very highest level, there will always be this sense of self and attachment forming to uh, in our minds as we practice, and the results of the practice can be a cause for attachment to arise. So it's, it's something to be aware of. Uh, this is why we say if we're still attached to the sense of emptiness, well, there's, there's still a sense of self there, there's still a source of suffering. So when we practice, the important thing is to have faith and confidence in the Buddhist teachings and then to put effort into the different aspects of the practice, to develop our generosity and kindness in the practice of dana, develop our virtue and morality through our sila, develop the practice of samadhi and develop the experience of the peaceful, concentrated mind, learn how to listen to the dhamma and contemplate the dhamma.
the aim of all this is to develop this uh, state of emptiness, the purity of mind, which is free from kilesa and free from suffering. If we have any dukkha or suffering in the mind, it's because of the presence of greed, anger or delusion. As we practice, we aim to overcome these, let them go, abandon them from the mind. And of course, that's not easy because they're so deeply rooted in, in our habits, in our character, in our tendencies of mind. We go out in the world to work, to earn a living, and le we learn skills, and we can do this quite well. But the Dhamma practice is not quite so easy. It actually takes more effort, more time to, to practice the Dhamma, to, to purify the heart. Just making the mind still for maybe five minutes, practicing mindfulness, is already difficult to do, isn't it? Um, you try to concentrate on a meditation object, but the mind won't believe it. It will resist that, and it wants to think many things and move here and there, rather than just stay still, focused on the object of meditation. But this stillness that we're aiming to develop, we have to create the causes for it. We have to practice and put in the effort. So we use a meditation object to focus our mindfulness. We use butho, dhammo, sankho, contemplate the breath, or we might practice contemplating this body as the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water, and learn to fix the mind's attention on one of these elements. We contemplate the earth element. We're fixing the attention on the hardness of the body, the different aspects of this body that are hard and firm. Uh, the liquids are the water element, and so on. We contemplate to see how this body is made up of these elements, but ultimately there's no self in any of that. Lay people can practice this. It's not just something for monks to do. And it's through this practice that we develop insight into the lack of self in this form, in this body, and experience the emptiness of that. When we can see this body as the four elements, then there's no sense of it being a man or a woman, a person of this country or culture, all of that disappears. All one sees is just the truth, the true nature of this body, and the sees that it's really an Ichadukha Anatta. From that you can see that the whole world is the same. All the physical things of this world are just the same. They're made up of the four elements and there's no self in any of them. When one has insight this way, when one contemplates an Ichadukha Anatta re regularly and continuously, then all kinds of insights can arise and we can see the true nature of this world uh, both internally and externally. You might just see that all the people around you in this world are just beings heading towards death because death is ine inevitable and the, this uh, body is a conditioned thing. It can't stay together indefinitely. When I was a lay person, I practiced like this, and these kind of insights used to arise so that sometimes you could actually see people as just like heading towards their death or see the, uh, the anicca, the impermanence of, say, buildings or different material things around one. This is seen with the internal Dhamma eyes. Ordinary eyes might just see people and so on around one, but the internal Dhamma eye sees through the conventional reality and just sees the anicca dukkha anatta of experience. This kind of insight gives one the sense that this body is more like a house on fire. It's something that one has to leave and let go of, get, rid, get, get away from. This is when we see the true nature, the true essence of this body and mind. 
this is what we call vipassana yana, the, the, ten, uh, the nine vipassana insight knowledges. It's natural that in the beginning of the practice we will have some attachment arise and this sense of self will still be there, but never mind, keep practicing. What we're aiming to do is contemplate to the point where we start to become more detached and we get a coolness of mind from this. As we lose our attachment for the material world and see through it, we can see that even if somebody bought us a huge pile of gold and put it in front of us, Inwardly, we know with our wisdom that we can't grasp and hold on to that for very long. When we die, we can't take it with us. What do we take with us at our death? It's the Dhamma that we've developed. It's the purity of insight that we've developed through our practice. And that's what goes with us. The pity and the sukha and the state of peaceful detachment, that's what we take with us when we die. And this comes from seeing the truth of anicca dukkha anatta in all our experience. When I was a lay person, I practiced like this and I experienced pity and sukha on many occasions. Sometimes it would be very long-lasting for three days and nights solidly. It wouldn't disappear. So please, please use this practice of Dhamma for your own benefit because it will help you to understand and experience this state of emptiness and the coolness of a peaceful mind. So it's only through the practice that we'll be able to see and understand the Dhamma. It's only through training our mind in mindfulness and wisdom that we'll be able to understand exactly what conventional reality is and to break through that, uh, the normal delusion that attaches to conventional reality or superficial appearance of things and experience the vimuti, the liberation, the mind that is free from kilesa. We can see that we've been affected by these kalas of the mental defilements, attachments for a long time now. It's only through training like this that we can actually free the mind from them. We are all aiming for the end of suffering. Nobody wants suffering. Um, as lay people, we still have to get the basic necessities to live in this world, say shelter and food, clothing and so on. And we have to put a lot of effort into that. But we should leave some effort and some energy left for the practice because in the end, the four necessities, the basic necessities of life, they're not, not an end in themselves. They're only a means to an end. They're, they're a means to support the practice. We have to learn how to practice meditation regularly. We have to learn how to maybe practice once in the morning, once in the, in the evening. We have to dedicate ourselves to keeping the five precepts. We have to learn how to practice mindfulness throughout our day, even while we're at work. It's only practicing in this way that we'll actually come to experience the peace of mind that comes through samadhi. Sometimes when the mind does gather together and our mindfulness is continuous and the mind settles down, we'll experience rapture, piti, piti and sukha that comes from a peaceful mind. With this we get a sense of fullness, lightness, body and mind, a sense of fullness and maybe tears will fall. This is because at least temporarily we've abandoned our attachment to greed, anger and delusion. And it's the fruition of developing kusala dhammas, wholesome dhammas through our practice. Sometimes it can last for a long time, might last all day long, sometimes even all, for a whole month. So we have to see that 
when we're practicing, what we're doing is bringing the causes together for the mind to experience this. We have to create the right causes. I used to practice like this. Sometimes I would gain joy and rapture from my, my meditation, from understanding the Dhamma and contemplating the Dhamma, uh, and from listening to Dhamma talks. As I, the more I practiced, the more I experienced pity and sukha arising, the more this supported the arising of samadhi and clarity in the mind. Sometimes this experience would last for a whole month when the mind would seem to be free and empty of kalesa. They say when you experience this, it's like your mind has reached its true home or true dwelling place. If you want to experience this, you have to train in the, uh, the practice of dana, sila and bhavana. Lumpur Cha used to ask the monks sometimes, he said, do you, do you have a place to stay yet? What he meant was, have you reached this dwelling place of the mind that is peaceful? Sometimes he would ask, do you know where to let go yet? These were just little reminders or teachings helping people to focus back on their own mind and, and to develop mindfulness and wisdom. You have to practice in every posture until you can experience this sense of peace in every posture at all times. Learning to use your mindfulness and your wisdom to contemplate rupa dhamma, nama dhamma, meaning physical things, mental things, at all times. To see that they're just made up of elements. This body is just made up of the four elements. And you can see how these four elements group together uh, to make up a human body. But then over time they break up and degenerate. When we see like this with samadhi, then it's possible to actually experience the mind changing, changing its view and the way it relates to the world. We can experience the gotarabhu jitta, the, the jitta that changes, or the state of mind, the mind that changes the, we say, change of lineage from uh, an ordinary unenlightened being to one of an area, an enlightened being. We can see that for every life we've lived in this world, over and over again, we've been attaching to this body and mind with a sense of self. That's always caused suffering. Really, this body and mind has no self within it. One can't find it anywhere in there. When the mind sees like this, then it's as if it, it steps aside or goes out of this body and mind to another world and is looking back at it but without attachment. So we must keep practicing samadhi until the mind is firm and we can maintain mindfulness in every posture. This will, it's only in this way that we'll be able to see through the conventional reality and the apparent appearance of things and maintain right view, samadhi at all times and maintain insight at all times. We'll be able to see through the the normal delusions where we, we label everything, we put label on people, so they, we give them names and we say this is a man, this is a woman. See through the delusions, say we put labels, say the sun, we say the sun comes up in the east, sets in the west. But in the end we can see all of this is just conventional reality and we can see deeper than this into the true nature of things. We can see that this body is really not a self, it's not a being, a person, it's not me or mine. This is what we mean by seeing the Dhamma. One who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. One who sees the Buddha sees the Dhamma. So now that we know this way of practice, it's our good fortune that we've met with the Buddha's teachings 
and we have faith in the Buddhist teachings, then we should really use that as a cause for you to put effort into developing your mind as much as you can so you, that you can also experience this kind of purity and peace.